is done here. Let's go in our Bibles, the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter number one, and uh, appreciate your prayers. Several of you prayed. I've been through three vocal surgeries in, in uh, my life, and I'm doing better. I think I'm hoping to sound like Tom Malone when it's all over with. And uh, amen. Joshua chapter one, and uh, 21 years old is when I got into the ministry. I started pastoring in my 20s, and uh, uh, if you've ever been a young pastor, you've got a lot of speculation. People look at you and think your zeal is all about pride. And so you, you go through those seasons. And then in my 30s, I, 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 before I turned 30, I'd built two buildings and, and, uh, in New England, Massachusetts. And then you get into your 30s and all of a sudden your ministry uh, takes on a new dimension. In your 30s, you start to get a little bit, uh, a little bit more experience and God begins to broaden you a little bit. And so I pastored through my 30s into my 40s, and now I'm 58. Uh, when I was 39, I went into a season of sorrow. I buried a son, had him killed in a car accident, terrible time. I pastored through that. I'm going somewhere. And then I remember in the year 2000, how many were pastoring in 2000? You remember they thought the world was going to end and... Everybody had to get pencils again and write things down, we thought. We pastored through that. And I remember pastoring in California for, we were there about 14 years. And in 2008 and 2009, I was reminded of it uh, in the last few days about how the banking industry fell. And we had 54 families lose homes in our church. 54 people. We had a larger church. And... Um, so I pastored through that, and we got through that. I remember pastoring through uh, sickness. You know, things come and things happen. And uh, I remember, uh, I've never had a staff member disappoint me. I never have. I've had some great staff people work for me. And um, I, I didn't get any disappointment that way. I remember uh, interviewing several pastors at one time about what was the greatest disappointment in ministry. And uh, Dr. Clyde, uh, Clyde Gilman, I don't know if anybody here ever knew Brother Gilman from New Mexico. He said to me, the greatest disappointment I ever had was uh, the betrayal by a staff member. Oh, I was just devastated by it. I've never experienced that. Uh, but in my pastoring, in my ministry, in my leadership, uh, I suffered a great disappointment from a fellow preacher who just broke my heart, just, just devastated me. And you say, well, what are you saying all this for? Because our job as pastors, our job as leaders is really to train up other leaders. I'm to preach the Word of God and feed people with the Word of God. But really, gentlemen, if there's anything we must do, and I, I so agree with what we've heard today, our job is to train people to come after us. And carry on despite what comes our way. I hope America survives. I really hope that my grandkids get to enjoy the freedoms I have. But the forecast is so shaky. And it's not, and certainly not disagreeing with what we just heard, but it really comes down to the local church. And us training young men and young ladies to be leaders. And so I want to preach about that this morning just for a few minutes and uh, I hope you're in Joshua chapter number one. Uh, in the Charleston area is where I pastor. And I've been there uh, just about five years now. I've been a southerner for five years. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm still, Mur you listen to me, Barry. 
I'm not eating okra. I don't care what you say. Not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. I had, listen, it took me a long time to even touch cheer wine. I was like, I'm a Christian. I ain't drinking no cheer wine. But uh, in the Charleston area, there's a great, great man. I, I don't know that he's saved. I've witnessed to him and he's a, he's a general, a major general. He's a Medal of Honor recipient, Dr. General James E. Livingston. And I was having a, a, a late lunch, a late breakfast kind of lunch with him. And I had the privilege of sitting with him. He's been to our church two times. He's a living legend. He really is. And I said to General Livingston, I said, Sir, I'm, a, I'm going to ask you, what would you tell me is lacking in America today? Number one thing lacking. And without hesitating, he said leadership. Leadership. There's no doubt where we're at today in this text is recorded one of history's great leaders, Joshua. Uh, here's the record of a great leader. And I'm going to say it again. The need today is leadership. Uh, I'm talking about real leadership. I read recently in, in, in a Twitter feed that uh, a pastor actually put on Twitter. He said, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that describes a pastor that he has to be a leader. And I almost tweeted back, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard said. But I didn't because I'm a nice guy. But that's what he said. I, I, I believe with all my heart, where we're lacking in churches today is we're just, we're not reproducing leaders. I listened to probably 10 maybe 15 sermons a week. I just love listening to preaching. And I put on my earbuds and I listen to preaching. And uh, not like some of you preachers, you listen to your country music, but I listen to preaching. <laughs> and uh, I hear it in preaching. I hear, I, I hear a lack there. And, and, and I thought about this message and I thought, who am I to come here and preach this? Well, just like the other brothers said, this is what the Lord told me to preach. I guess now with a little bit of this going on, a little bit of this going on, I think I can talk a little bit about the need to train leaders in our churches. It's so important. Let's look at Joshua and, uh, and we'll read the verses and then I'll pray. Verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the host and command the people saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan, but ye shall pass before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord hath given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then shall ye return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it. Which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side Jordan toward the sun rising. And they answered Joshua saying all that thou commandest us we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. 
Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words, and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Father, I pray now you'd bless these brief moments as we look at this vital issue, this vital subject of leadership. Bless, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Joshua, as I said, is a great leader, great, great man, great general. He followed after a great man, Moses. And Joshua was the man that commissioned and mustered together uh, two and a half million Jews, they say, to three million, uh, to take and defeat seven nations, and as we count, 31 kings. He had to lead these people. You say, well, that, that sounds like a, uh, an interesting challenge, but add to that, these are slaves, former slaves that he's leading to do this. We're talking about all these Jews for 430 years, we believe, in Egypt as slaves, and then 40 years as nomads. And he's going to lead these people, organize these people, guide these people to become the great conquerors of this land of promise. And so I want to just take the subject of leadership and uh, discuss it this morning for just a few moments. If you give me your hearing, I believe the crisis in our churches is leadership. I believe the crisis in our nation is leadership. The crisis internationally is leadership. You want proof? It's not going to be long. A character will stand up. And all the nations of the world are going to follow him. I'm talking about that beast that comes up out of the sea. I'm talking about the Antichrist. He's going to be a leader and people will follow the leader. We are at the brink of an amazing period in history. Well, we don't know what's getting ready to happen. I just believe with all my heart things are shaken because God's putting it all into place. But the answer from a human perspective is going to be a leader. Some talk about Marcon in France. He'd be a great man to be the beast. There's no doubt in my mind that if Jesus comes back in my lifetime, that Antichrist is probably alive right now. And he may not know who he is, but he's going to be a leader. He's going to be someone with words and a skill and ability. And I don't want to preach about the Antichrist, but the need internationally is leadership. The need in our homes is leadership. Our schools, leadership. Just two quick thoughts today, and I hope this will be a help to you. I'll give them to you now, and I'll develop them. And if you want to remember some of this, it might be a help to you, even in training in our churches. I took a church, listen, $1.3 million debt, 44 people in Charleston area. And uh, I've always wondered, is there some past sin in my father's life, in my life, that God's assigned to me these judgments <laughs> And, uh, but uh, uh, a difficult ministry. And, and, uh, and you know what I found? It, even here in South Carolina, people need leadership. And we need to train leadership. So, so uh, just two quick things. The principles that forge a godly leader. Then secondly, the people that follow a godly leader. Let me talk about the first one. Principles that forge uh, a godly leader. There's four of them I'm going to give you. Notice verse number 10, chapter 1. Notice the first word there, Then. Then, then Joshua, then. That's an important word because it's connecting what just happened. And what just happened is principle number one, Joshua had communion with God. 
The communion principle, verses 1 through 9 of Joshua 1, God gives Joshua guidelines and instructions of what he must do. We won't take time to read it. You could do that on your own. Uh, But in verse number 1 through 9, God speaks to Joshua. Verse 10 follows that. He receives the orders from God. And then verses 10 through 15, Joshua communicates To the people, what God communicated to him. Could I just say what we need in leadership is men. And could I add this also for the sake of the crowd? Women who have a communion with God. We just heard a great message on that. Uh, Brother Jarvis, tremendous message. I just met him today for the first time. And I like that guy. I I like it because he's a big guy and his face turns red when he preaches. I like that. And, and communion with God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, what we need is to have a communion with God, a walk with God. And people catch it when somebody's walking with God. We see that in verses 16 through 24. And we won't read all that, but the people, because they see the communion that Joshua had with God, uh, they, they said, you know something, Joshua, we're with you. So they communicate back to Joshua. It's a beautiful thing how that works. I, I believe what people want and what people expect is that the man of God walks with God. And has a communion with God. And I believe the same can be uh, with the leaders in a church. The leader is in communion. And that word communion means accord. Closeness, contact with God. Oh, I think it's a vital part of leadership. Can you say amen? Amen. To have communion with God. Number two, let me give you the second thing. Uh, We see next the companion principle. Verse 10. It says, Then Joshua commanded the officers and the people. The officers of the people. He's talking to the officers here, not the people. He's talking to the officers. So stay with me here. The general Joshua went to his officers. He went to people that he could build leadership in. I think a pastor needs to spend a lot of time one-on-one with men in the church. It means you've got to get out of the office. You've got to schedule coffee and pay for it. <laughs> Amen. I mean that. I, I don't think it's right going to let the church members buy all the time. Go in there, buy them a cup of coffee, interview them, sit down and invest in them. I talk to young pastors, uh, mostly out west, but I, I talk to these young men that I've trained and spent time with. I said, listen, you've got to get out of that office and invest in the lives of these young men, uh, these men, and go to their job sites. Sit down with them. Uh, don't take their time, but just go see where they're at. Invest in them. It's companion building. Moses did that. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, he spent time with the judges and the officers. Uh, Let me say it. The greatest thing that you could do is invest in the life of somebody that you could train to be a leader. We've got to take this on ourselves. My job, yes, is to feed the flock of God, but also to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Our problem is we've got a way of doing it and I expect it to be done the way I want it done. Is there any preachers with me on that? Say amen. And if it doesn't get done that way, get out of the way, I'll do it myself. I've got two brothers that are pastors. They're great, great men. Uh, uh, They're both kind of stupid, but they're great men. And uh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. And uh, I'm the middle brother, okay? I got to pay the price. And... uh, uh, but uh, one of my brothers, Russell, uh, he's a five-talent man. Man can do anything. I mean, he's amazing. And uh, uh, I don't know what skills I have. I just have nice hair. Uh, but anyways, uh, but Russell, Russell, and he'll admit this, he's a type A guy. If, if he can't get it done just like he likes, 
He's just going to push you aside and do it himself. That's the worst thing we could do in our church leadership. We've got to train people and build people. It's called a companion uh, uh, con- uh, 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 concept. There's no greater hindrance to godly leadership, could I say, than unfaithful, in- uncommitted, and inconsistent people. That hinders leadership. But isn't that usually the case of what we're dealing with? I mean, I'm just being straight with you today. So what do we do? Get out of the way. It's a one-man show here. Oh, no, that's not what God called us to do. Can you imagine Joshua all by himself leading two and a half million people? Can you imagine that? I mean, just think about the effect of trying to feed all those people. Two and a half million people. To feed that many people, that's 15,000 tons of food every day. He couldn't put that together. Uh, I got these statistics from the, uh, the, the, the military. In order to feed and take care of two and a half mil- uh, million people, it would include 11 million gallons of water every day. Just think about the logistics of that. To move a camp of people, two and a half million people, uh, each day, it would mean that they would have to take up an, a, a square mile, uh, 750 square miles, about the size of Rhode Island, just to move and camp that many people. I'm just telling you, there's no way Joshua could do it on his own. He needed people. He needed people. Joshua knew that. And so Joshua had a commitment to the, his companions to duplicate, to delegate, and to dedicate them to that work. Oh, wouldn't that be something if we took our people and you say, but I don't have a lot of folks to work with. You know something you do with those God gives to you. You've just got to look at them and say, God's given you to me. And uh, I don't care if their eyes run two different ways or, or uh, if they, 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 they spit through their tooth. Uh, I don't know what the story might be with your people, but use who God gives to you. And say, God, I'm going to work with the people God gave me. I started a church when I was 21, and uh, uh, all I had was ladies. And wonderful ladies, but just ladies, about 11 of them. And uh, finally, I led a guy to the Lord. I guess that's the way you get him in church. You just win him yourself. So I, I led John Dorman to the Lord. And old John had a pack of marbles up here, and he came to church. And, and I said, John, listen, it's just you and me, man. All these girls, women, it's just you and me. I said, I don't trust those women. Count the offering. Would you help me count the offering? <laughs> so old John, he said, sure, I'll help you. And he sat down next to me, and we started counting the offering. Of course, the offering was my offering. It was a new church. I was given that. So we're counting my tithe. And, uh, and John sat there and he said to me, he said, well, uh, I, I got to go. I'll be back. Well, you know where he was going. He was going out to get a hit. And he came back in. I'm like, wow. And, uh, and I just thought, well, I, they told me in college, do it with those God gives to you. And so old John, he came back in with Marlboros. And week after week, we're doing this. And finally, hallelujah, one Sunday he comes in and the Marlboros are not there. And I said, I said, John, I, I noticed something's missing in your pocket. He said, well, they're out in the car. <laughs> hey, but we're going in the right direction. I'm just telling you, you've got to invest in people. A pastor, a pastor must create an administrative structure. No matter how, how, how large your church is, no matter how many people you're running, We're not here to discuss that. Who's got the big church? All I know is this. It's a big deal. And we need to treat it like it's a big deal. 
We come into this thing and we start it and we run it. And there's a start and a process and a conclusion to everything we do. Uh, but listen, if you've got a, a, a small ministry like myself or others, just get serious about it and invest in others. Train them. It's called a companion principle. Then notice next verses 10 and 11. Uh, verse 10 and 11, we see the communication principle. A communication principle. It involves words. Involves words. Could, could I just say, preachers, man, spend time talking to your guys. Not just talking with them about, you know, Gamecocks and Clemson, whatever, and all this business. What a waste of time. Talk to them about where are you going for God? What's your plan for your family? And have a purpose with that. And drive. Have a, have a, listen, I don't meet with people unless I have a reason. A drive. I've got to be the leader. And I've got to have a purpose and drive them along. And I talk to families. And, and I'm not trying to be Mr. Businessman here. But I am saying this. When I meet with people, there's a reason for it. Because we're driving somewhere. I'm not in Goose Creek, South Carolina to waste my life. Amen. Or somebody called it Goose Neck. I've got to drive. I've got a purpose and communicate it. And men, spend time talking with your people. Look at verse number uh, 11. He said, pass through the host and command the people, saying, prepare you victuals. And he goes on. We read that verse. Let me just break that down into four things. Uh, the communication principle includes clarity. Be clear. Prepare victuals. Why in the world would he say that? Well, because for 40 years they'd had manna. And now it's time. It's over. It's ending. He said, you better get your food together. And I was thinking about that. All those women had to learn how to cook again. <laughs> he had to communicate clearly. It was clarity. Then, uh, then he communicated secondly with urgency. He said, do it quickly because you got three days. We're out of here. Get moving. Get moving. And I, I want to tell you this, folks. Uh, we've got little time left. We've got to be urgent about this thing. I think a pastor's got to be driven. Uh, Brian Treadway, my dear friend, I think most of you know him. Brian said to me when I came here to South Carolina, he said, Tharp, I'm going to give you a warning. Slow down. He said, you're too, you're too, uh, uh. he said, you're in the South. And, and then I, I started learning what he meant. And uh, I've never heard storytellers like I've heard since I've moved here. People know how to tell stories here. And I, I have a fellow in my church, I love him with all my heart. Uh, I, I, I learned what Brian was talking about. And I finally looked at Rick. I said, Rick, let's, have a, let's make an agreement. When you start your story, if I start going like this, it means start ending your story. <laughs> he said, okay, preacher. You know, years ago. <laughs> all kidding aside, it's urgent that we communicate with our people. And then finally, uh, under that thought, uh, let me give you a third thing, rather, authority. It's with clarity, urgency, and authority. He said to the officers, he went to the officers, he said, you tell these people we're getting ready to move. We're getting ready to go into the promised land. We're getting ready to go to Jericho, but we're going into the promised land. And he said, you've got to have authority to do that. There is no worse, uh, no worse position in the church than someone who's given a responsibility with no authority behind it. And so he gives them the authority and, and he tells them that we're going to move on and, and move forward. I think what Joshua was doing is he was remembering the last time the people decided what to do. They spent 40 years wandering because of it, having to do with the, the spies. And so he communicated with authority. And then finally, he gives communication with certainty. Look, verse 11. 
He says, ye shall pass over this Jordan. Ye shall. A leader is someone who knows where he's going and brings others with him. Think about that. He knows where he's going and brings others with him. I love what uh, uh, Lehman Strauss said. A leader is someone who has a compass in his head and a magnet in his heart. He draws people to himself. So we see here this, this communion with God, the companion principle, communication. And then let me give you this next one, confrontation. Look at verses 12 through 16. And this is interesting. Uh, Joshua, he, he gives the command to the officers to tell everybody we're getting ready to go. But he doesn't do that with the Gadites and the Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh and the Reubenites. There's a reason for that. Because those same men, that those three, those two and a half tribes, they're the ones who had a little problem with Moses back in Numbers 32. And they said, we don't want to go across this Jordan. We want to stay on the east side. And they gave Moses a little bit of problem. So Joshua understood that as we're getting ready to cross, we're probably going to have a little problem. So he goes to them directly. Notice that. It says he, that Joshua spake to them saying, and he brings up what Moses said. And this is a touchy thing. But a leader has to be willing to confront. Now, confrontation is never comfortable. Uh, I, I, had, I told you I have two brothers. One is a five-talent. The other one just loves fighting. He loves it. He's the older brother, of course. All you older siblings, you devils. He loves fighting. And it's his thing, man. He just loves getting into it. You know, the truth is, I think most of us do not enjoy confrontation. But could I just press real hard here right now? You'd better confront some things. Or it's going to eat you up. I'll tell you this, if I've got to live with, with a confrontation situation here, I'm not going to be the recipient. I'm going to be the driver. Right. I'm going to push forward and, and fix that thing. And as they say, take the, uh, take the bull by the horns and deal with that thing. Be willing to do what is difficult. The, the leader has got to be willing to do the hard thing. And after 37 years of ministry, I still tell you, I don't like confronting, but listen, I force myself, if I see something wrong, I'm the shepherd, I'm going to go after it and try to fix it and be spiritual and walk with God. But at the same time, I'm trying to help anybody that might hear me. Uh, just be willing to just deal with it. Don't stand back and let it fester and fester. I will raise my hand and confess I wished I'd fix things quicker in my early years quicker because they only get more difficult. Confrontation is difficult but necessary. These are the qualities of a, a godly leader. And I hope that's encouraged you just a little bit. But let me just wrap it up with the people that follow a godly leader. Look at verse 16. And they answered Joshua saying, all that thou commandest us, we will do. Somebody say hallelujah right there. Wouldn't that be something? That happened because of a godly leader. It happened because of a godly leader. Uh, I, I've, I've pastored small churches and large churches. I've dealt with small budgets and big budgets. I understand business meetings. I understand how to do votes and all those things. And I'll tell you something, it's blessed and pleasant when God's people are together in unity. Amen. But whether they're in unity or not, I've still got to be the leader. And a leader has got to make that decision. So let's talk about these people that follow that, that leader. 
Now let's remember these 40 years, Joshua's not ignorant of these kind of people. These are these people now. Hold on now, I'm, I'm describing the people. They're complainers. They're high maintenance. They're ill-tempered. They're never fully trusting. And they're always looking back. They're never happy. They're all now dead when Joshua takes over. But all those people he's leading now are those who followed all those that died in the wilderness. But look at where he finds them in verse, uh, verse number 16. In unity, all that thou commandest us, we will do. I praise God for God's people. I mean this with all my heart. They're the best people on the earth. God's people. Boy, sometimes they're hard to lead. Hard to lead. By the way, uh, sometimes pastors are the problem. But oh, the unity of God's children. Thank God for the, 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 the body of Christ. But notice the pronouns here in this passage. Us and we. And then chapter 3, verse number 1, if you want to just check that out. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, and Joshua rose up and it says, he uh, and, and they, he and all the children. So him and them, and they're all together. Chapter 4 and verse 1. It, it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the Lord said unto Joshua. So they're all together and praise the Lord for unity. They understood unity, but they also understood verse 17 in chapter 1. They understood loyalty. Look at verse 17. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, we'll hearken unto thee. As we were loyal to Moses, we'll be loyal to thee. Loyalty is a great quality. They pledged loyalty, but it wasn't blind loyalty. It wasn't blind loyalty. It was loyalty that was proven uh, through Moses' leadership and then through Joshua's uh, leadership that he learned from Moses. And so they pledged their leadership uh, and their loyalty, rather, to his leadership. I thank God for loyalty. I thank God for good, loyal, good, loyal men. I love serving with men. I love serving with men of God and, and, and training them and spending time with them. And it's a quality that uh, ought to be seen in God's people. Then a third thing, verse 18. Yeah, I love verse 18 because they, they uh, recognize authority here. They said, whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, we're going to have him killed. Wow, pretty powerful right there. They got it. They understood that Joshua was the man and the people made it clear that we're going to be loyal and we're going to make sure all of you follow the leader as we go into the land of promise. Now I'm just going to make a summary of this and I hope it'll uh, bring it all together. Let me just say, first of all, we must lead. If we don't lead, somebody will. It ought to be our thrill to lead our churches, whether you're a pastor here or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a choir member, whatever your role is. Do your role well that others will follow you. Have you ever noticed in a choir when an alto sings out, the other alto sing? When a one alto lets it go, the other altos just kind of fall in and make beautiful music. Be the leader. Then let me say next, we must duplicate ourselves. Duplicate ourselves. I, I'm just trying to challenge you as, you as you go through ministry, the seasons of ministry, realize this. You're not there to just get a job done. You're there to duplicate, to help train other leaders. And then let me just close with this. Whatever you do, don't quit. Don't quit. I almost quit too. I, I still pastor with a broken heart. Every day is a broken heart. But I want to tell you something. He's worth living for. Noe vatras. 
They say in Spanish, no turning back. Don't quit. Joshua got all the way through. And here's what happened. Chapter 24, he dies. He's gone. You know what's sad about it? Moses had somebody trained after him, but you don't see anybody trained after Joshua. I'm not blaming Joshua. I'm just saying this. It wasn't a generation later. The whole country, the whole nation was in judges. It really comes down to leadership. Here's the thing. We have to always be training somebody to stand where we stand. Otherwise, when we're gone, there'll be nobody there. Father, thank you for your time given me today. I pray that you'd bless.